Hey, good morning, Encounter. Good to be with you today. He is worthy of it all. That is worth a clap of praise to our Lord today. What a way to sing and worship because he is worthy of it all. And I am glad to be with everyone today. So thankful to be here. I just want you to know that I'm praising God with you for the things that the Lord is doing. Uh, Just across the ministries of our church family, whether that be internationally through all of our global outreach partners across the world, so many amazing things going on around us, to all the things locally and regionally, things in the hopper that are coming up, uh, just praising God. You know, we saw that video just a few moments ago of the men's breakfast. Anytime you can get 125 plus men to gather in the name of Jesus, it is worth celebrating and praising God for. Amen? It was awesome. You know, and what was exciting to me was I met so many men that morning that were invited by a friend. They were someone's neighbor. They were someone's family member, brand new to church, brand new to who Jesus Christ was. It's exciting to see how the Lord is using the men of our church. And I think there were over 40 men who began, began the men's Bible study this last Tuesday night meeting regularly, and you are still welcome to join that. It's awesome. And then the same night, there were 75 women gathered here for Moms Next, just learning about great things to shepherd our children with. Uh, Just so, so many great things. And then last Sunday, we had our group launch, and I think it is worth noting that 150 people signed up for groups who were new to groups, meaning not already in our groups, but praise God for that. That is just great news. Uh, the new people to groups, it's worth praising the Lord for. Coming up uh, in a while from now, on the Daylight Savings Day, we're going to do our all-together service again, where we gather as one church. And I just want to mention that because if you know Jesus Christ and you have not taken the step to express your faith and celebrate your faith through baptism, we're going to be having a bunch of baptisms that day. We'd love to have you join us. You just sign up on your New Hero card and, or talk to the New Hero booth out there, and we'd love to get you signed up for that. And then coming up after Easter, we're going to have this thing that we're calling Go Sunday. And we're going to just be talking about ways that we can reach the nations right among us and actually have some opportunities as a church family to go out into our community together, uh, just reaching out in the name of Jesus Christ. So, so many things to be praising God for together as a church family. Amen? Kind of makes me think that Just maybe some of you gathered for prayer as we began this year and began to trust God for some things that only God can do in this world. Amen? Well, you know, I just not too long ago had my father and my mother-in-law come to stay with us uh, during uh, the Christmas time. And my father-in-law, I call him dad, uh, but dad was with us. And one of the things about my dad is that he is a master woodworker. Do you know anybody like that? He's a master woodworker. He can make anything. And he actually retired from teaching at Bakersfield College where he taught CAD and woodworking. So he, CAD is a design program. But my, my father, he basically he can make furniture from scratch. He designs it. He's designed kitchens, I mean, remodels. He just recently, in the last few years, got into making guitars. He got kind of bored and said, hey, I'm going to make guitars. And he uses the most amazing pieces of wood. He uses Honduras mahogany and oak and ash and maple, you name it. And the things he designs and builds, they're beautiful, they're durable, uh, they're functional. And the detail and the planning that go into making the things that he makes is amazing. 
He is a designer and a builder of things. Now, blueprints are the things that people use to design just about anything that's made. So you say uh, an apartment or a home or a car or a road or even a digital network, there's basically a designer behind it who has made a blueprint, which is the beginning way that that becomes into fruition. And today, we're beginning a brand new message series where we're going to begin to walk through this amazing book of the Bible called Ephesians. And we're calling these messages Blueprint, because we're going to be looking at God's biblical design for us in this book of the Bible, and how we're His workmanship created and prepared by grace. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, uh, they're a very core part of this book of the Bible. I'm going to read those verses as we begin today. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? They declare how we're God's workmanship created and prepared by grace. And by the way, if you're a guest with us, we always put the scriptures on the screen. And on your way in, we have these QR codes on the walls. And right before you come in the building, if you want to get the digital notes, uh, you're welcome to download those. There's also Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. And if you are a guest, we're just so glad you're here. And I look forward to meeting you possibly today at Encounter 11 after the service. 11 minutes of getting connected. This is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you... Encounter family, have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Go ahead and remain standing because I'm going to pray in just a moment. But God is the great designer. And we are his workmanship, created and prepared in grace. One translation says we are masterpieces of grace. And my prayer as we go through this book of the Bible is that we will understand and experience and live out the truth of what it means to be masterpieces of the grace of God. Amen? Now, before we pray, we want to keep a prayer focus in front of you as a church family. Uh, just we have these three critical roles that we're looking for as part of our church staff team. Uh, one of them is our executive pastor of ministries role. This, this pastor will lead our group's ministry and also work very closely with our directors of care and children and uh, women in different, different areas. Uh, also, we're looking for a worship pastor. And then along with that, a director of ministry operations. That's a halftime role. And basically, we'll lead the business and finance uh, arms of our church and preschool. You can actually apply for that one online through our website. Uh, but just a special note today, part of why I was mentioning all those. One, I want to ask you to be praying for God to bring the right people at the right time. Uh, but today, we have a special guest. Uh, his name is Malcolm Shade. And Malcolm, could you just raise your hand over there? He's standing over there. Uh, the reason that Malcolm is significant to me is he is the person... Uh, that God used to connect me to encounter. <laughs> For which I will ever be thankful. Let's pray.
No, Lord, we sung those words that you are worthy. You're worthy of it all, and you're worthy when we're in the low places. You're worthy when we're in the high places. And we declare your worthiness today. Lord, we thank you for all that you're doing. We ask you to go before us as a church family, and we just ask you to lead us. And I just thank you for every person here, every person listening online. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please be seated. Uh, Well, I want you to consider with me for a moment the caterpillar. Because if we brought a caterpillar to a biologist and asked them to analyze it and describe its DNA, they would tell us, I know that this caterpillar, I know that this looks like a caterpillar to you, but scientifically and according to every test, including DNA, this is fully and completely a butterfly. God has hardwired into a creature that looks nothing like a butterfly, a complete butterfly identity, a butterfly nature. And because the caterpillar is a butterfly in essence, it will one day display the attributes and the behavior of a butterfly. The caterpillar matures into what is already true about it. And today, as we begin to think about what our biblical design is in Christ, in a very similar way, Because of who we are in Christ, we, over time, mature into who we already are through the grace and the power of God. And what we're going to cover this morning are what I'm going to call three critical blueprints that God offers us in Ephesians chapter 1 as we're kicking off this book of the Bible. And these are blueprints that just help us understand everything else that we're going to learn in the coming weeks and months as we go through this book of the Bible And these are what they are. Adoption through the Father, redemption through the Son, and promise through the Holy Spirit. And a little bit of background on the book of Ephesians, as it may be new to some of us. It was written by the Apostle Paul while he was imprisoned in Rome. It's why it's among some parts of the Bible that we call the prison epistles or the prison letters, because Paul had been imprisoned for standing up for his faith in Jesus Christ. It was written around A.D. 61, and about three decades after the crucifixion of Christ. It was written to a group of people in this town, this city called Ephesus. In, it was really along the coastline of the Aegean Sea. For some of you, what might help to know that's modern-day Turkey. For others of you, that doesn't help at all. But that's where Ephesus was. And if you strolled through the town or the city of Ephesus, you'd see some major, major buildings and structures. One of them was the Temple of Artemis or the Temple of Diana, it was also called, depending on whether it was being referred to by the Greeks or the Romans, because they worshipped different gods. And this temple was known as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was about the size of a football field. It had 127 60-foot-tall marble pillars. It was probably one of the largest buildings ever constructed at the time on the face of the planet. It also had a theater. And although the theater wasn't the largest theater in the Roman Empire, it did hold 25,000 people. Now, let's put that in perspective. I hear there's a football game today, right? Are you guys going to watch a football game today? You know, who's rooting for the Eagles? I just got to know out there. Any Eagles fans? Come on, raise them high. Come on now, let's see. 
All right, and then the Chiefs out there, anybody? All right, good. Well, we're equally divided today. That's good. Or maybe united one way or the other. How many of you are in for the commercials and snacks out there? All right, core, core things. Well, at the stadium today in Arizona, there will be 63,000-plus people present, to put in perspective the size of the theater in, in Ephesus. It was the heartbeat of the culture of the city. By the way, I was thinking about the football game today. It's at State Farm Stadium. I mean, talk about a well-insured game right there. So. But another main structure in Ephesus was the Agora. And the Agora were these three archways that you entered to go to this massive marketplace. The marketplace in Ephesus was basically two football fields right next to each other. Think of an Amazon warehouse, and you would understand the magnitude of the market in Ephesus. And so welcome to Ephesus. And what I'm wanting you to see is this is not some little town with a couple dusty streets and, you know, a couple goats and a donkey, when you think of Ephesus, you need to think of Tokyo, New York, Hong Kong, this major metropolitan area. It's believed to be the fourth largest city in the first century world. And by the way, because of that, it was also full of pickpockets and con artists and prostitutes and people with volcanic tempers and binge drinkers, you name it, everything that comes with being a broken people in an urban setting. And so despite the amazing architecture in Ephesus, everything there was not great and beautiful. And people were lost without a savior. And so God sent a man by the name of the Apostle Paul, with the good news of Jesus Christ to reach the least, the last, the lost, and the lonely in the region of Ephesus. And he arrived around A.D. 53 and began telling people about this free gift of grace that you can have when you embrace Jesus Christ as your Savior. And one by one, people started coming to faith, and these little house churches were popping up all over the region. And Paul was there over two years, and then he left. And when he left, he left all kinds of people with new hearts. But even though they had new hearts, they still had some old habits, just like all of us. And over time, they began to fall under the grips of some of those old habits again, things like prostitution and rage and you know, alcoholism and different things, many things. And so a handful of years after Paul left Ephesus, he wrote to this group of Jesus followers to remind them of who they were in Jesus Christ by the grace of God and to remind them what it means to follow the Lord as Savior. And he wanted to remind them of their blueprint in Christ. And basically, when you look at the book of Ephesians, you can divide it into two sections. You have chapters 1 through 3, which feel one way. And then you have chapters 4 through 6, which feel a different way. And in chapters 4 through 6, they're basically about how to move from a caterpillar life in Christ to a butterfly life in Christ. Where we are flying in the power of being set free by His grace. And Paul actually in chapters 4 through 6 goes after some pretty specific things. He talks about how we can move from having a life of rage to a life of actually having a righteous anger, that there is such a thing. And we can move from being dominated by hate to actually having lives of restoration and reconciliation. That we can move from having pieces of our life that are shaped by deception into actually speaking the truth in love in some of the hardest relationships that we have. 
And we can move from spiritual darkness to spiritual light through the victory of Jesus Christ. That's chapters 4 through 6. But in chapters 1 through 3, all he basically does is say, remember your blueprint in Christ. Remember your biblical design. Remember that you are masterpieces of grace. Remember how God dumped his love on you. And he poured out his mercy instead of his wrath. And remember how he stepped into your sin and performed CPR of the soul and brought you back to life through Jesus Christ. Because Paul looked at their lives and he realized that their lives on the outside wasn't matching who God had designed them and created them to be on the inside of masterpieces of grace. There's this book that I read a while back. I've shared about it before. It's titled The Cure. It's written by three different authors. But in there, they talk about how our identity in Christ is inseparably linked to the character of God. And this is one of the things that they say in this book. They say, your view of you is the greatest commentary on your view of God. Let me say that again. Your view of you is the greatest commentary of your view of God. Meaning the better you understand who God is and his love for you and his character, the healthier your view of yourself will be. And often when our view of ourself is off, when we have a negative view of who we are, we actually also at the same time have an unhealthy or untrue view of who God is. Because the more you understand who God is, the healthier your view of yourself becomes. And so Paul gives us these blueprints that link link God's character to our identity in the first few verses of Ephesians chapter 1. And his first is his design for love where we discover the Father's Love through adoption. This is verse 4 in chapter 1 at the end. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. will. With love and pleasure God adopts us when we come to Christ as Savior. Paul says in love he has predestined us through Jesus Christ. Somehow what God did for us on this earth is the key to this adoption process. We don't earn this adoption. We, we, instead, what he wants this adoption to be at the heart of who we are. And this is one of the things that happens when sometimes we read the Bibles. We tend to look at it through 21st century eyes instead of 1st century eyes when it was written. And there's actually just some amazing work that's been done on the book of Ephesians. There's this one theologian by the name of Mannion. And I will just tell you right now, he has highly influenced my thinking and understanding this book. You'll hear some of his stuff throughout this series. But one of the things that Mannion says is this. He says, imagine that we were there in Ephesus in the first century. That we were there. And we decided to go to the theater. And there are 25,000 people in the theater that day. Just like the Super Bowl is going to be packed today. Every seat is taken. And you're there in Ephesus. You're there with your neighbors. And you're there with your friends and your family members. Your mail carrier is there. I mean, everybody is there with you. And the play that happens to be being done that day is Oedipus Rex. And everybody in Ephesus knew the story of Oedipus Rex. It was this Greek play where basically the story is this, that King Laius and his wife, Queen Jocasta of Thebes, have a baby son. 
And this oracle or this seer comes to them and tells them that this son is actually going to be the cause of harm to their family. And so King Laius takes this baby boy and pins his feet together and abandons him to a field. And the shepherd comes by and finds this baby boy and names him Oedipus, which means swollen feet. And by chance, this young boy becomes raised by the king of Corinth. Now, you and I, in modern times, hear about a baby being abandoned to a field and we're shocked, but the people in Ephesus wouldn't have been shocked. In fact, child abandonment was somewhat common in the Roman culture because when a baby was born in Roman culture, it would be placed at the feet of the father. And a father, if he was going to receive that child, would pick up that child and hold him to himself. But if he was going to reject that child, you know, maybe he wanted a boy and got a girl or wanted a girl and got a boy or whatever it may have been, he would not pick up the child and would walk away. And frequently the children would be taken to the agora, the marketplace, and abandoned there. And sometimes someone would come along and take them in, but take them into slavery or into servanthood. And it was a culture like this that Paul is writing to when he talks about adoption. He writes this, In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. He is writing to an abandonment culture where the babies were routinely abandoned. I've actually read elsewhere that outside of the eastern gate of Ephesus was this huge garbage dump. And it was this place that when children were abandoned, they would be basically dumped off at this dump and then dumped into human trafficking. And Paul writes to these people and he says, if you've come to know Jesus Christ, your most defining moment in life isn't who threw you out, but who took you in. And through Christ, God the Father picked you out and he picked you up and he brought you home. And he loves you. He picked you out and picked you up and brought you home because he loves you. He's adopted you in love. By the way, you don't have to raise your hand, but any of the room ever been dumped before? Dumped by a boyfriend or girlfriend? Dumped by a friend? A spouse? company, a child who doesn't want to have anything to do with you anymore. Paul says, before we get to what God wants to do through you, you need to know what the Father has done for you. I have a friend who's a part of an adoption ministry. They connect children to families. And they told me a story once, true story. This little boy who was around four or five when he was adopted, he had been neglected highly in different places in his life. As a result, he was really small for his age and, and just really tiny. And he got into this foster family and they decided to adopt him. And my friend was at the court proceeding where his adoption became final. And they told me how when the judge declared that he had been adopted into this family, that this little boy climbed up on a chair in the courtroom, if you could imagine this, and at the top of his lungs, he just said these words, I belong. I belong, to which everybody in the courtroom cheered. Now, there's this really cool language that adoption people use with children. They say, you're going to be going into your forever home. 
In fact, it's, it's very poignant what happens legally when a child is adopted because parents commit by law that they will raise this child as if they were born to them. And at the moment of adoption, you actually have inheritance, inheritance rights in that family. In fact, they go so far as to amend the birth certificate of the child to say that they are now children of these new parents. And all of these are pretty powerful pictures for us in being adopted by the Father in love. God the Father, in an even greater way, wants us to know that we are adopted in love to his forever family. He picked you out, and he picked you up, and he brought you home in love. No matter what your past was, even no matter what your future holds. And your most defining moment in life is not who threw you out but who brought you in. The Father has adopted in you in love, and he wants that to be a blueprint over your life. Another blueprint is his design for freedom, where we discover Christ's freedom through redemption. And our redemption through Christ is a powerful thing to experience. When we hear that word, it feels like a weighty theological word. It basically means to purchase something. To redeem something is to buy it. Paul uses it this way in Ephesians 1 verse 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. We are redeemed, we are purchased through the cross. And again, let's not look at this only through a 21st century lens, because Encounter Family Ephesus had one of the largest slave markets in the Roman Empire. When you went to the marketplace at the Agora, you could not only purchase spices from the east and purple cloth from Thyatira and the latest fashions from the Roman, you know, from Rome, but you could also buy people. And many historical records claim that between a thousand years before the time of Christ and a thousand years after Christ was here, Ephesus was the center of slave trade in the Roman Empire, the very center of it, the hub, the epicenter of human trafficking, one of the ugliest stains of what one human being can do to another or one people can do to another. And Paul, sent by God, spends two and a half years in the epicenter of the slave trade in the Roman Empire telling people about the hope of Jesus Christ, where people were routinely purchased for large and small sums of money based on what they could do for their master. And in light of that, look at verse 7 again. In him we have redemption through his blood. And Paul was telling people that Jesus loves you so much that he bought you with his life, and now he offers you life by his free gift of grace to you, not based on what you will do for him, but based on what he has done for you. When Jesus hung on the cross, he was paying the adoption cost to bring our life, our soul to him because of the impact of sin. I have a friend who's a church planner in San Jose. His name's John Markham. I call him the bearded wonder. He has a beard that goes down to like here. He's, he's an amazing guy. Uh, but he told me this story once, how he was preaching for another church, not the church that he was a part of in a different city. And it was in Christmas time. And he had this little phrase in his sermon when he would talk about the birth of Christ. He'd say, you just had to be there. And he talked about some detail of the birth of Jesus. He said, you just had to be there. 
and he gave his message. It was well-received, and afterwards, he took his family, who he had brought with him, out to Chili's for lunch in this town. He didn't know anybody, and he has a family of six, and it was a rather large bill that day for lunch, and when the server came to bring him his check, she turned to him and said, hey, I just want you to know someone paid for your check today. He's like, no way. Who? She goes, well, they already left, but they left a little note on your receipt. He goes, well, let me see. And so she hands him the receipt from the meal. It was paid in full, and there someone had handwritten, you just had to be there. That's cool for many reasons, just letting someone know you heard, heard the message in that moment. Uh, in, in that moment. Um, but John and his wife were shocked, and through Christ in the cross, someone had already picked up the tab for us. Your debt because of sin has been paid in full through the blood of Christ. It's gone when you come to Jesus Christ as Savior. And by the way, I just want you to know that Christianity is not about being good enough for God so God finally likes you. He loves you by his grace. He redeems us through the cross to set us free. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the Spirit. And so Paul is speaking to this slave culture where people were bought and sold, and he says, Look, do you know that someone bought you? Not with money. With their death on a cross through sacrifice. Do you know what that means? It means you're someone's child. You're not their slave. Someone paid for you so they could adopt you and they gave everything. That's how valuable you are to God. And as a result, you have a new identity. You have a new inheritance. Your primary blueprint is that your Lord Jesus bought you so that the Father could adopt you and you could be set free to live with him. And so remember, you are his workmanship created and prepared by grace. The Father adopted you in love, and the Son redeems you to set you free. And the final blueprint is where we discover the Spirit's power through the promise of his presence. Verse 13 says, In him you also, when you heard of the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. You see, back in Roman times, slaves would get tattooed with the family seal that they were slaves in. And so Paul actually uses this symbol of darkness to lead people to the light through the Holy Spirit. And he goes, remember when you believed the gospel? It was then that you were marked with a different kind of seal, but not of darkness, but of light. Because a seal back then was a mark of ownership, and there were different seals that were used in and around Ephesus. If it was a document being used, they used hot wax, and you'd put your family crest on there and press that into the wax, and it would seal onto the paper. It was a mark of ownership. But when it came to cattle and owning cattle, the wax wouldn't work, and so they came up with hot branding irons, and that brand was a mark of ownership. And soldiers were tattooed as a mark of service, for the emperor, so that the soldiers would know they belonged to the emperor. And captives and slaves were sometimes branded as well. And this is who Paul is talking to when he's talking about this seal. Paul is writing to this culture in this city where literally people everywhere had seals on their body of one form or another. 
literally to show them who, who owns them and who had purchased them and whom they belonged to. And Paul, Paul goes, when you accepted Christ as your Savior, he put God's seal on your life. And that seal is a promise. It's God whispering to you, you're mine. You are mine. I have adopted you, but not as a slave and not as a servant and not as a soldier, but as my daughter or my son, whom I have adopted in love to set free. And I have now given you the seal of my spirit and it is the promise of my presence. And with my presence comes my power and my strength. And that is why this letter from God to these dear people written through the Apostle Paul and the Holy Spirit and written to us, these people who had experienced severe rejection, people who had been bought like cattle, tattooed and branded, desperately needed to remember that they were masterpieces of grace, designed for love and for freedom and for power through the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Where once they were hopelessly abandoned in their own sin, and the Father chose to adopt them in love. And they were hopelessly bound by their old habits and their own life, and the Son redeemed them to set them free. And where we were once hopelessly alone, separated from God, and now his spirit seals us with his very presence. And with that presence comes his power. That is where God is taking us in the coming weeks through the book of Ephesians. To let those blueprints soak deep into our souls and deep into our everyday lives. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that you have adopted us in love, that you have redeemed us through your son to be set free, and that we are sealed by your very presence through your Holy Spirit, that we might have your strength and your power. Father God, we just confess to you that when we come to your word that we have so many things about ourselves that are rolling around in our heads and our hearts. And we just ask that as we get to know your word more in the coming weeks and even today, that your blueprint for our life through who you are will rule supreme. And we pray that you'll be glorified in it. God, I just ask you to whisper your love over people today. May they leave here today knowing that the most significant moment in their life is not, who threw, not when someone threw them out, but when you took them in. We thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you.